Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. I'm Adam Taylor, and to the left of me is Mr. Keith Smith. Keith, how's it going, man? Everything's good, man. We're we're uh, almost to the good stuff. It's uh, we gotta get get a couple little little bites of the regular season left, and then then we're into the good stuff. And I, much like I think the Celtics as a team, I, I am also very ready for the playoffs to start. Oh man, like I've had the week from hell. Um, <laughs> so catching up on games has been a nightmare for me. Trying to get the game in, then the rewatch. I'm still trying to catch up. I'll be caught up by the time we get into tonight's game, but. The one thing you can see straight away is everybody's ready for the playoffs. Like the yep. level of play, people are still playing intense. Obviously, that Sixers game was a little bit more on the line than just a win. There was some pride, there was some mental kind of hurdles that the Sixers wanted to get over before getting into the postseason. But for the most part, I think we're all done, right? We're all ready for the for the real basketball <laughs> yeah. to begin. Yeah, and that's it. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially for the Celtics too, coming off a finals run, I think they're now into that arc as a team where it's like, we're not going to push for every single regular season win anymore. It's just not going to be a thing that that's going to happen. Despite the fact that they won more games than they did last year, which is, you know, kind of funny considering how many people think, excuse me, this team is so much worse, but yeah, I, I just think it's everybody's just ready for the playoffs to start. I think you can see that as soon as you got log on to Twitter, head over to the Celtics injury report for today's game or yesterday's <laughs> game and you're listening yeah. tomorrow. And you can see that the Celtics have basically they're toying with the idea of shutting their guards down, right? So every guard not named JD Davison is currently listed as questionable, or at least they were last night and earlier this morning. I'm not sure if it's changed. So no, no updates to the injury report as of yet. There we go. So every guard not named JD Davison is questionable heading into the game. Yeah. Honestly, I love that move. I think that's one of the best ideas. And then hopefully every forward not named Champagne or however you pronounce it. <laughs> Champagne. Champagne and Muscala, like, you know, shut down Tatum and Brown and everyone for the final game. I'm fine with that. Now, the question is, do you think this is the right move? Do you expect to see any of these guys? It's questionable, right? They can still play. So are you expecting to see any of them? I think tonight's game, and, and just so anybody not catching this live or catching it, you know, same day, uh, we're talking about the Raptors game. I think for the Raptors game on Friday, you're going to see probably a lot of the regulars. I, I think guys who are actually dealing with real injuries and it's everybody's dealing with bumps and bruises but like Peyton Pritchard clearly has something going on with his heel still that's still a a problem Um, Marcus Smart's probably legitimately banged up I think they may miss I think guys who are yo what not necessarily the most real of injuries I think you're gonna see those guys play tonight probably a pseudo preseason-ish feel to it where you'll probably play 25 minutes and those kind of things because there's nothing to play for uh, for the Celtics. And we probably should have started with that, right? The one seed's off the table. The two seed is locked in. So you're not – there's really no reason. But if you don't play them tonight, the guys who didn't play the other night either, now all of a sudden you're approaching two weeks without having played a game when the playoffs start. And that's just not something anybody – you know, necessarily does. So I think tonight's game, you see a bunch of the guys play, probably, like I said, play it out like a preseason game. And then, you know, 
you'll sit them all. And then the Sunday afternoon game against the Hawks, I feel bad for you, my friend, a game you can probably see live. Um, I, I don't, I think you're going to see the Celtics. And for anybody only listening, I put Celtics in quotations there because it's going to be a lot of dudes who you're not going to see play very much in the playoffs, if at all. So, uh, you know, welcome to the team, uh, Justin Champagne. Here's 35 minutes on Sunday. Do you expect to see much J.D. Davison today against the Raptors? I think there's a chance just because, like you mentioned, there's a lot of the guards are dealing with stuff. I do wonder, Derek White, right? We saw him roll the ankle in the game, uh, the the first Raptors game. But he's also played, he's the, one of the, he's the only Celtic and one of only a handful of players in the league to have played in every game this season. So I think there's a chance that means something for him. So I think we may see him play. Um but I don't know about Smart. I don't know about Brogdon. A Pritchard, I'm really not sure. Which that's That one really stings because these would have been great games for him to get some actual minutes and be out there and play and you know, get in some court time and reps and the like. But, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing we're going to see probably a, a decent amount of J.D. tonight and then probably a whole lot of J.D. Davison on Sunday. And the reason I'm kind of looking forward to this is because say what you want about a second round draft pick and, you know, there's not a path for him in Boston right now because the best he can hope for is to fill Peyton Pritchard's spot if Pritchard gets moved in the offseason. He still looks like a fun guy to watch, right? I mean, yeah. the hair is the hair's fun. His <laughs> athleticism's fun. He's quick. He, he, he dunks well. He rebounds, rips and runs. Like, he does a lot of fun stuff. So to end the season with nothing to play for, having a look at somebody that might sign a second two-way deal next year and has a chance of having that converted if Pritchard moves elsewhere, that's kind of like the most exciting thing we've got to look forward to, to until the playing tournament begins and now we can start seeing where, and we'll get into this in a moment, but then we can start seeing where the matchups are going to come for yeah. that second seed. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think with Davison too, I want a game where we get to see him shoot like 10 times, right? And just see, but and not just layups. Like, like, let's get some jumpers up. Like, let's see what it looks like, like in actual NBA games. The Hawks, it's a little unclear what the Hawks will have to play for. They, they, they're still kind of uh, battling with um, Toronto for 8-9 positioning. And, and why that's important is you want to be uh, the – eight seed because it gives you two chances you only need to win once to get into the playoffs if you're the nine and you lose uh your first play in game you're out your season's over so so you'd much rather be eight than nine so so yeah i'm very curious to see where this goes but yeah a semi-meaningful game gets a at least for the other team you know defend trey young right too for you know hey see what it looks like for him to run around and and defend trey young for you know 15 minutes for the game or whatever amount of time they share the floor together. Yeah. These are great opportunities for him. And I'm hoping to see that. I'm hoping to see Pritchard get back too. And maybe, you know, we see the two of them kind of split the minutes, you know, between the two of them at the point and, and we don't need to see any guys. And if Derek white wants to play, cause he wants to hit 82 games, and that's meaningful for him. As long as he's really not injured. Okay. I don't have any real issue with that. Like, like let's, you know, you know, we'll roll him out there, but if he is banged up at all, sorry, dude, you know, play 82 next year. We try again next year. We got way more important things to worry about. And you are far too important to this team to you know, risk anything over these last couple of games for you to be out there. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, even if he plays five minutes and then you shut him down, you've played 82. 
right? It doesn't need to be a full game. I know that's kind of a loophole that he might not feel comfortable with, but you are right. The importance to the rotation is far, like, has more significance. It's far more significant. Now, I'm looking at the standings right now, and I kind of want to move on to this because I feel like this is kind of being glossed over a lot by Celtics fans. It, it feels to me like at the moment, everybody just expects to face Miami, right? Sure. There's a lot of discussion about, hey, it's going to be Miami. It's going to be a seven-game series. It's going to suck. But when I'm looking at the seedings, you've got Brooklyn in six that are one game ahead of Miami, then Miami in seven, Atlanta, Atlanta in eight. So, And then you've got Toronto in nine. And it's like one game, Toronto's one game behind Atlanta. Atlanta are two games behind Miami. So there's still some chances that there's some movement here, right? Like if Brooklyn lay a goose egg two games in a row and Miami find a way to win, they they switch. But how do you think that plays out? Like, are you expecting Brooklyn to kind of hold on to that sixth seed or are you expecting them to, the pressure to build up on a young team that hasn't been together very long? Yeah, I think it, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, where that one goes. The Nets have the magic tonight and they can wrap it up uh, with that one. And it's a, um, the magic. They sat their entire starting five last night's game uh, against Cleveland, and that was the fan appreciation night. So, hey, fans, come on out and you know watch nobody you wanted to see play, kind of thing. So that that's a little rough, but it's um yeah, I, I think it's a uh, a good chance we see the Nets wrap it up tonight. But if the Magic say, you know what, hey, we're gonna play our guys, and they stumble, well, then they maybe maybe they do, right? And then then we'll see. And then the Heat, I believe. Well, let's see if I've got this right. They play tonight against the Wizards, so that's a game they should win. Uh, we <laughs> Celtics guys, we know how that goes. Um, and then the Heat close with the Magic, and the Nets close with the 76ers on Sunday. Sixers locked in; they're probably not playing anybody. So the Nets should, 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 should get that six seed in that final spot, but it isn't wrapped up yet. So, so we'll see. Now the Nets do have the tiebreaker over the Heat, so the Heat would have to beat them. They 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 can't finish tied. They have to get ahead of them in the standings. So, um, so that means you know the Heat need to win two while the Nets lose two. So, I my guess is it's probably Nets in the sixth spot, and then. Yeah, we'll see out of the playing tournament. And my bigger thing in the playing tournament is why are we also convinced Miami's going to win in the playing tournament? They have not been a very good team this year and their offense can go completely missing. And in that kind of pseudo single elimination style of the playing tournament, your offense goes missing. You're in all sorts of trouble. Like you, you, you could lose that game just because you had a really bad shooting night. And that was going to be my next question, right? It was like, are we sleeping on the Hawks' ability to beat Miami in a, in a one-game winner-takes-all type of situation? Because I've had discussions about whether Toronto would be a bad matchup for Boston, whether Miami would be a bad matchup for Boston. But no, I don't think I've had a single discussion, which we can do now. Is Atlanta a bad matchup for Boston? Like, you know, they play that high pace they've got some good wing defenders obviously you're going to score on Atlanta as often as you want it's just whether or not you can stop them from scoring too but yeah I feel like people are sleeping on the Hawks in that single in that series well mini series between them and the Heat just feels like everyone feels like it's an already gone conclusion yeah I agree with you completely it's like everybody's already locked in like all right we're playing Miami in the first round and there's 
that's not where we are. To your other question is, you know, should we be worried about the Hawks for the Celtics? The Celtics should not be worried about any of these teams. All of these teams are bad. If the Celtics are the team we think they are, they should beat any of these teams. Yes, Miami's probably going to make you work for it a little bit more than maybe the Hawks or the Raptors. Boston just beat Toronto and held them to 93 points in a game where Toronto played everybody, played all their regular guys, and played very hard trying to win. And the Celtics sat three starters and did not, you know, they, they kind of played out portions of that game of like, all right, you know, hey, we're just, you know, playing to get this thing over with, and the Celtics still won. So I'm not in the slightest bit worried about the Raptors. I don't have any worry about the Hawks, minus they may get a game where Trey Young scores 50 points and wins it by himself, but you're going to get one of those, maybe, in a series. They can't stop anybody. And then with Miami, yes, Miami is tough. I think Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. He will have stuff prepared uh, for you that you you haven't seen, so you you haven't been able to prepare for. It's probably going to be some kind of weird uh, gimmick defense that you're like, oh man, and it all depends on how long it takes you to sort through it. Jimmy Butler, you just know if you're playing, there's going to be the couple games in the series where he probably takes 15 to 20 free throws, and you just got to deal with it. But they just can't score regularly enough. Their offense is not very good. So I'm to the point with the Celtics where, you know, it's this is just kind of what you do, right? As, as a fan is you start building these teams up because you don't want to be overconfident, right? You don't want to come in and feel like, oh, man, we're just going to roll all the way to, to, to you know, through the first round with no problem. So you turn these guys into monsters, and that's fine. But let Joe Missoula and crew do that for the team. You don't need to, you know, stress yourself too much as Celtics fans. I just don't think this is going to go uh, that way if they get that matchup in the first round. Am I on my own in thinking that, assuming it's a Boston-Miami um, first round, am I on my own in thinking that the most important matchup is Spolstra versus Missoula? Like to me, that seems like one of the 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 best coach in the NBA versus a very impressive rookie head coach. And the difference this season compared to last, when it was the same setup except Udoka was in the hot seat, is the Celtics already had momentum in the postseason coming into that series. They'd already they were coming off the back of some big series like beating Brooklyn, playing Milwaukee. Like they'd come all the way through this, and there was momentum behind them where. Now they've kind of got to build that momentum while dealing with Spo. And I'm just thinking for Missoula, this could be like a, a really big learning curve that I'm expecting him to be able to scale because of the talent at his disposal. But I do expect maybe the, there is a game or maybe two where he's bad, like a bad decision or a lack of a decision maybe puts pressure on them down the stretch. Yeah, if that's the matchup, Celtics Heat, the Heat have a massive advantage coaching-wise. And I like Joe Missoula, and I think he's done a pretty good job this year. But like I said before, I think Eric Spolster is the best coach in the NBA. So for me, that's a huge advantage. But then you also got to remember, neither one of those guys is going to score a point, grab a rebound, you know, get a steal. Not, neither like There's only so much you can do because, all right, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are pretty good players. Tyler Hero... I, he's kind of polarizing, right? I know people have a lot of thoughts on him. But if you started just looking at the two rosters, Butler and Adebayo are going to factor in probably right behind Tatum and Brown, right? And then probably Butler and Adebayo. And then what, the next seven guys might be Celtics 
before you get to another guy in the heat. Kyle Lowry just looks like he's done. Like he, he, he can't move. He doesn't do the stuff that he used to be able to do. It's all tricks and stuff with him now. Kevin Love, they started him for a while. That's That was a mess. And now he's just kind of basically playing his BAMs back up uh, already. They, they're down. They're back to starting Max Struess. Again, you start a lineup with Struess and Hero. Great. You know, let's go because they who are they going to defend, right? So you just you're, you there's just a lot of problems uh, for this Heat team. They're just not the team, even that they were a year ago, right? And that it's just you know guys have aged, other guys have fallen off as players, and they're just not the same team that that they were you know a year ago uh, with this. And I don't th- I think that's a lot of history that people are pulling in there of like but it's Miami, you know, they're so tough and it's, you know, it's the heat, like, you know, and all this. And it's just, the reality is it's just, okay. Yeah, that's true. But they're, they're just not the same team. So I, you know, as much as Spolcher as it has an advantage, I don't think he's 10 points per game better as a coach than Missoula is. And at that point, you know, at most he's maybe what, two points per game better. And if that's even, then that's probably even going too far. And, you know, I just I think everything else leans Celtics so heavily that I'm I don't know maybe I'm way too overconfident and I'm sure people are gonna freak out and be like you can't you know be like that but I just I don't see it as a problem for the Celtics with the Heat and and again who knows if that's even what the matchup ends up being right it could could still be you know not that so you know for 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 me it's one of those things where if you're the team we think you are shouldn't matter who you play, whether it's the Nets, the Heat, the Raptors, the Hawks, you ought to beat them and move on with relative ease. That's fair. I can't argue that. I will say that I probably lean a bit more to putting too much importance on coaches. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's the, the British media in me where I'm <laughs> like, coaches are just incredibly important, especially in the playoffs. So that could be something that we slightly disagree on. But even then, I'm like, Maybe Spolstra's four points a game more important than what Missouri. It's still such a minimal margin when you've got guys like Tatum and Brand that are going to give you 25 to 35 consistently each. The one thing I do want to ask before we move on is yeah. for me, my ideal kind of first round matchup would be against Brooklyn simply because I want as much crossover from last season to this season as physically possible. And getting Brooklyn <laughs> in the first round and sweeping them is a really good omen in my eyes. Um, call me superstitious, but if you had to choose between Brooklyn, Miami, Atlanta, which one would you see as like the path of least resistance out of those three for that first round matchup? Yeah, it's Atlanta or Toronto for me. I think those two are just they're, they're just not. I just don't think they're very good. Yeah, you know, I, I think Toronto just they they don't shoot well. Um, I think their defense is highly overrated uh, with them. So I'm, I'm not you know you know big on uh worried on them at all uh and i think the hawks just you know their their offense is good but it is not what i think again sometimes we build it up to be and their defense just isn't very good either now i will say the hawks offense has been far better under quinn snyder than it was under nate mcmillan like they're they are playing much much better in the recent months i just i'm not super worried about either of those teams and i wouldn't be very worried about the Nets either. I just, I think the Nets have, they just get a bunch of guys. So they, like they're just deep, you know, with, with real NBA players, like they're, they're going to throw eight, nine, 10 guys on the court that can all pretty much play. And I think that's a, you know, you're going to, with all those other teams, you get into their bench and you can start piling up points if you're the Celtics. Cause you, you've, you've got a 
pretty good bench yourself. So, so that's where I think, all right, well, you know, I don't know with the Nats that that's necessarily how that would go, but it's one of those things is I kind of look at all of it together. It's, I, I kind of like the idea of it. Okay. Let's get Miami into that sixth spot and let them play the Sixers and make the Sixers deal with that and work and all the stuff. And they've got their own demons, right. To deal with, with, with the Sixers uh, there, the, the Sixers and heat, cause they they've had troubles with them in the postseason. So it's one of those things where I wouldn't mind if that's the way it goes, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse with it, but just, you know, none of these worry me. I don't feel great about, I would rather not play the heat in the first round out of all those teams, just because of the fact that there's just a lot of history there. You're going to have to work more, but I, I think, you know, all the rest of them, yeah, whoever it is, bring them on and let's go. So I want to build on this confidence that you've just instilled in everybody listening um, <laughs> because you are, you're coming in like, I'm confident. I'm very confident that I feel like you're coming in with this. We're here and we're going to make everybody know it this year type of confidence. And I, like, I'm all for it. So I want to look at what you think their chances are of making the finals is. Assuming that the run is most likely going to be whoever you get in the first round, followed by Philly, followed by Milwaukee, and then going into the, and then whoever you get in the finals, right? So as we saw, and we're going to touch on this uh, in a moment, as we saw Embiid is capable of creating some serious issues for guys for the Celtics around the uh, the post and you know those nail entry passes getting him around the nail is an absolute nightmare trying to keep him out of his his spots. But besides Embiid, I don't feel like Philadelphia have enough depth, as you were saying, to be able to really push Boston. But they could, and then Milwaukee is obviously going to be just a battle of two gods. Um, so I just want to get your take here on you know how, what are their chances of making the finals? How confident are you of them? getting past the Philadelphia, getting past the Milwaukee, and where do you see the potential pitfalls in those potent, in those like respective series? Extremely confident they'll be Philadelphia if they match up with them. It's just history tells me, yeah, Embiid will do his thing, but it took Embiid being otherworldly and playing the best he's ever played against Boston with the Celtics without a couple starters, and they won by two. Like... I mean, okay, great. Like, we, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that anymore. Where it's like, you know, and and we had a game where Boston played a whole bunch, didn't play a whole bunch of guys, and won by, and they were up by like forty at points in the game. So it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it with Philadelphia, and that's with the full respect for James Harden and Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey and some of the the other guys on that team. I just. I just I go back to what Embiid told us a few years ago is it's not a rivalry when they always kick our butts, right? Like it's like it just isn't. And that's kind of where I'm at with that one. I think I think PJ Tucker is not again, I know he's not on the heat, but to kind of you know continue to go back to that like a year ago, it's just not the same guy anymore, right? He just can't move anymore. He almost has to defend bigs. So, you know, you can't put him on Tatum. They don't have anybody you can put on Tatum or Brown that's really going to bother them all that much because they just, you know, they, they just don't. So, so that puts a ton of pressure on Embiid on both ends of the floor to do what he does. The Bucks, yeah, now, but we're just getting news this morning. Chris Middleton's having an MRI on his knee again. His knee's bothering him. We're starting the playoffs in that spot again. So if you know if Middleton's not able to be Middleton, we just saw the Celtics go into Milwaukee, but both teams basically at full health. And this it, it wasn't even a game. 
I mean, the Celtics absolutely destroyed them. And the Celtics' backups almost won in Milwaukee earlier this year. And when they played in Boston on Christmas, the Celtics killed them again. So I feel less confident about beating the Bucs, but I feel pretty good. And, you know, and, and I don't try to put a ton of, you know, or I, I guess I don't want to put too much stock in these things like the 538 ratings and all those sorts of things. But 538 has the Celtics as pretty prohibitive favorites to make the finals 40% and then to win the finals 28%. And that's probably about where I'm at too. Like I feel pretty good about their chances. That I'm not going to go as far as saying Boston Milwaukee's the real, you know, NBA finals, but I'm, pretty close to saying that. And I've been saying for months, I think they're the two best teams in the league. So now let's see if they get there. And if, you know, playoffs tell us a lot, sometimes guys get hurt in the middle rounds and all those sorts of things happen and things just become a mess. But I, I really do feel pretty confident in the Celtics, uh, you know, against the Sixers, the Bucs, really against anybody. I just have felt all year long, like, yeah, they just, you know, even when they've had bad losses in the regular season, like they're, they're, they're good. They're, you know, somewhere between good and really, really good. So I, I, I just feel like they're going to be fine. And then the last question we'll ask on uh, on the playoffs for now, because we've got so much time where we can really dive into this in the coming weeks. So the only other question I've got for now is, which Western Conference team do you feel like you really don't want them to get to the finals if Boston are on the other side? Is it Phoenix? Uh, it'd be the Warriors for me, just yeah. because it's they, they're – like, I know the Celtics beat them uh, earlier this year. It just feels like that's just, all right, we got to do this again. And Steph, I just, I don't want to deal with it, right? It's like, man, like this guy, like he's the guy who can really win two games in a series all by himself. Then you have the other game where just a bunch of guys make shots. And then all of a sudden you're in a series, you're like, how did this happen? Like, we thought we had these guys beat and now here we are in a game seven. And, you know, it's, it's just a really tricky spot. Phoenix... I, I think by the time we get to the finals, if it's Phoenix, I'm going to be like, all right, they've, they've kind of gelled into a monster, but it's with them a little bit. It's like kind of, I got to see it, right? Because we just yeah. haven't. I mean, I think they've played, what, like four games with Kevin Durant or whatever it is. I don't even know if it's that many. So it's a little like, all right, let's see you know, what they come into. I, and it's hard. I don't want to disrespect any of the West teams, but like Denver, Memphis, like, get like win in the playoffs first before I'm going to get too worried about you. I love the Kings and it's a great story when she'll be celebrating them, but you know, let's see what happens with them. So, you know, I still pick, I picked Celtics Clippers before the season. I'm still going to probably hang on to that at least until I see what the matchups look like, but you know, but we'll, we'll see my hope, my, you didn't ask. So I'm going to turn the question as, <laughs> as I do every year. I really hope it's Celtics Lakers because, you know, just I would love Celtics Lakers with the chance to break the, you know, 18. I just, I don't know that the Lakers are going to get there because I think they've given themselves far too difficult of a path to get yeah. through to the regulars, to get through the playoffs rather to, to even get to the finals. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I, people are going to come away like, holy crap, like this dude made plans for the parade in June already. And it's not that. I'm, I promise I'm not, I'm not at that level. I just, I just, feel like it's one of those things where it's like, all right, like it's, you know, if, if you're the team, I think you are, we, you, you should feel pretty good about making it and then winning it. I mean, I will say this. I'm very confident. Uh, if, if Middleton is anywhere below 
I'm quite confident against Milwaukee. I oh, think yeah. that the Celtics' ability to stretch the floor in a five-out really pressures Brook Lopez, and that just puts so much more stress on Giannis being everything. And I've always been a big fan, and I said this on the last episode or the one before that, of just contain him. Let Giannis do what he needs to do and just make sure no one else beats you. And a team can't win that way. Giannis can't score enough points to win a game on his own. So, And I think that that is a very good way without Middleton on the floor relying on Drew Holiday to be such a, a high-volume secondary scorer, which isn't really his game, mm-hmm. um, just avenues to exploit, right? So I am a lot more confident coming into that, if they get to that series, coming into that series, if Middleton isn't near himself or isn't in the rotation at all. I will say, touching on the Lakers, I've liked them since the trade deadline. I think that they've yeah. made some good moves. They look really good. I, was, I don't know where I saw it, but I saw otherwise I'd credit them right now. But I did see someone refer to Jared Vanderbilt as the modern-day Dennis Rodman. And um, I was like, that was far ahead. (laughs) But then I'm like, if you just quantified that or qualified it as the modern-day Dennis Rodman age 22 or something, then I probably would have felt a bit better. So I do think people are overhyping the Lakers a little bit. I know a lot of people are like, well, if they make the playoffs, they should be the Western Conference favorites. No, they haven't been healthy all year. Um, So I'm I'm sorry, I can't do it. I would say that I'm scared. I'm looking at it now. Phoenix, I'm the same as you. I want you to prove it before, you know, I really start to get worried. The Clippers worry me because they match up well. I think that, you know, their wing defenders are very capable of... Assuming Paul George is there. Yeah, assuming Paul George is there. Other than that, I'm cool. Just whoever you whoever you face, you face. I've always been believe uh, to be the best, you need to be the best, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, and I wouldn't is- mind seeing the Celtics get another shot at the Warriors, right? And in in kind of almost say it's like you know, can we one you get the rematch, but also can you like prove the theory was you know you know what we needed was one more guy, like we needed one more guy. And now they have the one more guy, Malcolm Brogdon. And, you know, and I'm going to go as a quick aside here. Malcolm Brogdon should win sixth man of the year. Like, let's just put that to, to bed now. And I love Emmanuel quickly. But when you've started for a quarter of the season, that's, you know, to me, you're starting to defame. People keep saying that now it's changed that the, the, the literal qualifications for the award is the best player who comes off the bench. It is not the best player who steps up when his team needs him, when other guys are out that this – criteria this is becoming twisted into it's the best player who comes off the bench like that's you know what the award is like it's you know but that's a whole other side but yeah i mean i wouldn't mind another crack at the war i mean mostly it's like i it's very funny because i'm saying this today right on friday the 7th by the time we roll a week from now and we're on the eve of the playoffs i will be singing a completely different theory of Hey, it's whoever the Celtics are playing. That's the only team that matters right now for the next, you know, four to seven games. And then we'll worry about all the rest of it when it comes. But, you know, today's a day to look a little bit bigger picture. Yeah. And I feel pretty confident just to, to, to go through it very quickly, just to, because I found these kind of interesting. So this is what 538's chances of making the finals are. 40% 40% for the Celtics, 27% for the Bucs. Then it's the Sixers at 16%. And then it's, you got to get down to the Cavs and everybody else is under uh, under 10% to make the finals. The the West, it's really divvied up pretty, pretty evenly. It's Nuggets 26, Grizzlies 23, Suns 13, Warriors 13, and kind of to the point where we are just talking about, 
Lakers at 10. And now this is not a talking head be, you know, Lakers are dangerous kind of thing that you're seeing and have seen on shows for months. Cause this is just a mathematical model. Like it's, you know, it's just, you know, building in what it's seen and where it feels like chances of winning the finals Celtics, 28% bucks, 17 nuggets, 13 Grizzlies, 10. Those are the only teams above 10, 10% chance. So I mean, Celtics to make it at 40%, that's pretty, pretty high. 28% of winning the finals. Like that is ridiculously high. And I'm just going to finish with this on the whole 538 model thing. Last year, when a handful of people were like, I don't understand why are they so high on this team? Well, proved pretty prophetic last year. Then they made, made it to the finals. And I know they lost four games to two to the Warriors in the finals. But when you're in a sixth game, you're in it. Right, you're. This is not a four-zero or four-one loss. You were right there. One game goes another way, and you're you're the champs instead of Golden State. So it's just a, uh, you know, I they they think it's we're seeing, you know, yeah, this team's really really good. They started out great. They went through a lot in the middle of the season, and they figured it out and played well enough here down the stretch that I don't I don't know that home court advantage not having it in the first round or uh, potential East Finals is really going to matter all that much. And because the Nuggets lost last night, Celtics clinched. The only series they would not have home court advantage in is the East Finals against the Bucs. Every other series they'll have home court advantage. I also just want to put out a, a public service apology early. <laughs> because in about a week's time, all you're going to hear from us two is matchups, how teams exploited each other. It's going to be so analytically based for a few weeks that you're probably going to hate us. But stick with us because once we're through that and we're into the off season, there's going to be some fun stuff. And who doesn't like to be the guy that can talk matchups at the bar and just try, <laughs> like, and be that be that one out of your group of friends that's like they did this because of this, and then you know that's because we're here to help. Yeah. Now, <laughs> before we can even start looking at the books, or we can even kind of let everybody get on with their day, the one last thing I wanted to discuss, and we did touch on it slightly earlier, was defending Joel Embiid. And just to give everyone a taste of the analytical talk I just mentioned, Philadelphia do a really good job, and as I said, of feeding Embiid at the nail, right? And that's the that's literally for anyone listening, directly in the middle of the free throw line. And they say that because there is literally a nail in the court at that point, at that part of the floor. And when you're putting somebody Embiid there, somebody like Embiid there who can face up, score off the dribble, back you down, or just shoot over you. It's really difficult, especially when you had in adding the handoff factor and the screening factor. And for the Celtics recently going up against people like, you know, they've recently played Giannis. They did a great job defending Giannis. That uh, earlier in the season they'd done really good work defending Jokic for stretches. Like I think that Embiid kind of gave them a different problem and different equation that they're going to need to solve. And usually they've been pinching, right? They're getting two off-ball wings to pinch, take away the driving lane, and then they're putting a small underneath you so that if you try and back them down, it's just uncomfortable, it's easy to foul. And, you know, you've got people contesting from the back when you're trying to shoot over them and all this good stuff, right? Is there anything you saw that um, that the Celtics didn't do or Embiid did do that kind of countered how Boston usually limit big men from being so effective? Yeah, I'll start with... Two things Philly 
didn't do. And to your point, they fed him right there in the middle of the floor all game long. And if it wasn't at the nail, it was right at the elbow of the free throw line, like right there. Like it was, it was, he hung out just across the free throw line pretty much most of the game. And the, yeah, I'll say three things they didn't do. One, he didn't get a ton of touches where he started with the touch at the, the, the arc, especially above the elbow. And that's good because when he does that, it's easy. That's how the Boston defends Giannis is he gets it out there, then they load to the ball, and you build that wall, and you just you know wait for him to drive into it. Embiid will do that on occasion if you do that. Plus, Embiid's not the – He's not the athlete and ball handler that Giannis is. So you're just making it more difficult to him for him to get to his shots there. They didn't do a lot of that. Philly didn't. Philly also didn't throw him direct post touches on the block, which is that's old school basketball. And the reason kind of why that's gone away is it's the easiest place to double, right? Because you you can send your help. And the Celtics are such a good, smart, quick, long, athletic defensive team that they frustrated him with a ton of double teams when he's been on the block. They also didn't have him catch it on the roll very often because what the Celtics do in those spots is they basically they'll bail out. And you saw it happen a couple times late in the game where P.J. Tucker hit those late three-pointers. Those were off plays where Embiid caught on the roll or caught on the move. He wasn't necessarily working uh, from the spots. So Philly tweaked, right? They, they tweaked, they changed. But it's funny. Everybody goes back to what you are at the end of close games, right? And at the end of close games, it's going to be hard in handling the ball and finding Embiid off a standard pick and roll. And then it's however it goes from there. Much like the Celtics, they can move the ball great for 45 minutes. And in the last three minutes, they're going to default and call it what it is, devolve into Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown holding the ball for 20 seconds and then making a move. Now, what the Celtics didn't do, they didn't. Al Horford, very few possessions guarded Embiid. It was Grant Williams to start the game. Blake Griffin picked him up a lot. They ran Luke Cornett at him a few times. Very little Al Horford. And I think this was Joe Missoula and staff saying, we're not going to show you what we're going to do in the second round because nobody defends Joel Embiid better than Al Horford does, just straight up. So you didn't get a lot of that. Their doubles were different. They came with very, very late doubles after Embiid was already into a shot generally is when the doubles came. They did not double him hard on the catch. And that was different to me too, because I think that was again, another show of, Hey, we're not going to show you where we're doubling. And more importantly, we're not going to show you who we're doubling off and where we're doubling away from on the floor. And then the last thing is obviously Rob Williams wasn't there lurking to clean things up and do all the stuff that he does uh, for the Celtics. So I think the Celtics kind of played it as we're not going to show you our hand and give credit where credit's due. <laughs> you got destroyed because of that, right? I mean, Embiid was ridiculous. But I'll also say this, having watched that game twice and then watched all of Embiid's baskets for a third time, he hit a lot of tough shots. A lot of fallaway jumpers, a lot of really well contested shots. Um, he hit a shot where Derek White came over as the the late doublers. He went into the shot, and White got a piece of the ball, and it still went in. Like Embiid was just, it was just one of those games where it's like, honestly, that feels like it was like I'm gonna go win the MVP tonight, and he probably did in that game. But yeah, I think the Celtics just didn't show a lot of their cards in this one because it was. Hey, we might see you again in a few weeks. Like it's, we, we don't need to show you everything tonight. 
Like let's let, let's keep a couple things in reserve here, or you know, we or we know what we're gonna do, but we're just not gonna do it tonight, and maybe we'll lull you into a small sense of secure or false yeah. sense of security or whatever. That's fair. That's fair. I did think that it would be good to just touch on that, just so everybody knows what they're expecting when we go into. So, the Celtics just to kind of put this out there as we wrap up the show. The Celtics are most likely going to face the Sixers. What we saw against Embiid isn't really what we're going to see against Embiid. But what I would like to kind of point out is as well, what we saw from the way the Celtics defended, the reason one when they're defending pick and rolls, that's when you're going to see them pinch. And one of the main reasons I felt like Embiid was playing at that nail or on the elbows was because it takes away the, the Celtics' ability to pinch two wing defenders together because now you're leaving the corners open or you're leaving like the wing spot open from on the perimeter if you try and do that. And it's just so much easier to get punished that way rather than kind of when you pinch, you, you're, you're helping, but you're never overhelping. And mm -hmm. it's just really hard to do that down the center of the floor, especially when your defense is designed to be no middle and the initial pass just blows up that no middle defense straight away. So it's going to be a good battle there. I think that, but again, if you let Embiid go for 50 and limit everybody else, you're going to be okay. Like in the grand scheme of things, you're still going to be fine. Yeah, because in that one too, just it's not an Embiid specific thing, but Embiid went crazy, and the Sixers won by two in a game where the Celtics didn't have Jalen Brown and didn't have Rob Williams. So it's one of those ones where I left that you know like literally finished watching live when kind of emotions are most raw. Because usually by the second watch, I'm more watching like almost like a robot right it's like let me confirm what i saw like and go because there's no more emotion because that all that all got out the sec the, the night before but I, even that one i was like oh well like I, I just was like oh well like it's not like you know <laughs> i just think it was like yeah they lost but this is not one where i'm gonna freak out or panic or anything so it's, yeah, it's, it's like a, a, it's good. an mvp candidate took their team to victory against yeah. a team that was missing an all nba candidate like mm -hmm. it's yeah, okay. I'm going to live with that 10 times out of 10. I'm fine yep. with that. Yeah, and, and, and to everything we said, it was probably not played exactly how it will be played in, in a potential playoff matchup. And, and that's not to to knock Embiid at all because I know a lot of Celtics fans love to you know beat up on Embiid. Embiid's awesome. Like, he yeah. is incredible. Like, he's really, really good. And if that – just to kind of go back to, you know, put a bow on the entire show for myself is – if the Celtics make the finals this year, they will have fully earned it. They will have run the gauntlet. Any team who makes the finals always earns that appearance, but they will have gone through some of the best of the best to, to get there, you know, the, this year. And then, you know, I think in a lot of ways you feel good where it's like, all right, we're tested. Now on the flip side, it's, you know, was it a bunch of seven game battles? Because then it's like, you know, they can have enough left in the tank, but, but I think everything they've done this year was designed around, let's make sure we're ready to go by the time we get to the postseason. And I feel like they're pretty ready to go. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you and just say that I am so down for this next few weeks of absolute <laughs> roller coasters because we all know that one loss in the second round <laughs> and everyone's going to be like, that's it. The NBA playoffs are over for the Celtics. Yeah. We're going to have to ride. That. Even if they're up three Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, ah, that's it. See, they're going to lose. And you it's know, done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very excited. Um, real basketball starts soon until then there's two more games to go. Keith and I will bring you kind of a review of those games early next week. 
and then we'll start looking towards maybe we'll even do like a playing review once we actually see who wins and how they played. But until then, make sure you're subscribing to the show. I'm guaranteeing you're already following Keith anyway. Most of the universe is. Um, if, if you're not, then you should. And follow me if you want to. I'm completely apathetic about that. And, and we'll speak to you next week. Everybody have a good one.